Good evening and happening now. We want to welcome our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Jason Neifer, and you're in the Situation Room. And I'm... Hopefully you're not going to have a frog in my throat all night. I'm Wes Fryer, and uh, I am so excited we're doing this. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, maybe no one will watch the, the actual, well, someone might, but uh, hang out. But Jason, Jason has a tie on too, because he doesn't have a webcam and, and he's got a very professional <laughs> Google Plus profile image. So, uh, Jason, what, what are we doing here? And what, what, what's our background? Have we done this before? I seem to um, have deja vu. Yeah, it's, it's, it's somewhat familiar. So, um, I, I think what, what our broader goal here is that, um, with, there's a, a lot of tech media, uh, that exists in, in the podcasting realm that deals with, with broad technological topics. And I know it's a steady part of my diet. I know it's a steady part of Wes's diet. I think it's a, a good piece of this, but what a lot of the folks that, that spend time, um, using, um, the podca- podcast microphone to push out commentary on technology, oftentimes, vastly misunderstand the educational needs um, of schools and students and teachers and how technology fits into that. And so this is, I think, our attempt at a contribution to the voices uh, that exist in the podcasting world related to ed tech. And as Wes mentioned, we, we've we done a couple of these, um, Christmas 2014 and Christmas 2015. Um, we, in fact, I think two years previously, maybe or three years previously, but we've done this a couple of times before. Definitely two years, maybe maybe even three. And, um, we, we were joined by other guests that, uh, help us look at the year past and the year in the future. Um, and it was always a great conversation and something that, that I actually go back to usually a couple times throughout the year, um, uh, to pick up the insights of others. And so this is our weekly, monthly, quarterly something look at kind of ed tech news and how we perceive it. It fits in the, the broader atmosphere of technology and education. Awesome. And we have two live viewers. So if you're wondering why Wes is the only one with a webcam, it's uh, just just because, you know, Jason finds himself a little short on tech gadgets, which I'm sure has never happened before in his life history. But tonight, tonight it did. And this will be my only uh, episode probably to have a tie on because um, our schedule was such that, that we just got home. So anyway, we have put together a list of some some show links. What I was thinking about getting ready for this is this is kind of like my one of my favorite parts of teaching STEM to fourth and fifth graders the last two years. And I we called it curiosity links. And they were just cool things that usually I had found via Twitter, via Flipboard, uh, probably due to, a, you know, just a couple Twitter lists that I've actually put into Flipboard. <clears throat> I've decided to start calling Flipboard the gateway drug to, for connected educators, because I really think that if you can see and experience what it's like to, you know, have, have a, have a stream of, of innovative ideas in that very engaging and visually, you know, whatever pleasing environment that Flipboard is. Anyway, it, I love curiosity links and I, I literally had to get my kids to time me for 10 minutes. It wasn't like a Ted, Ted, uh, timer. It would be 10 minutes. And then I'd have them like, I had him, you know, make the junior birdman symbol or do something crazy when my time was up. And there would always be some kids that were kind of like, shut up, let's get to the, you know, let's get to the STEM projects and let's do the work. And then other kids would really <clears throat> be into it. And we, you know, we ended up talking about killer robots last year. There was a whole United Nations, uh, actual thing in Geneva where they were debating whether government should be allowed to develop killer robots. <clears throat> and I was just thinking about that the other day. Like that wasn't part of our curriculum in Oklahoma, but I mean, and we we had a really some engaging lively discussions and uh, i had some some of my fifth graders that made videos and they want they they had me put them on youtube and they wanted me to tweet the un anyway um well, let's do one other thing and then we can jump into the topics uh, why don't you tell the the uh our, our massive audience of who you are oh sure so i uh am west fryer i'm in oklahoma city i am now the director of technology for cassidy school which is a independent school about eight minutes from our house in the northwest part of oklahoma city we've got about 900 students in pre-k through 12th grade about 150 160 faculty and staff and uh i'm loving the chance to not only have my nose in you know our our uh our VLANs and our gateway and our you know, getting to <clears throat> ebook uh, coaching yesterday with with teachers who are getting started with their iPads and really enjoying that op- the opportunities that that this presents. So, who are you, Jason? 
Or should I say wolf? A wolf blitzer. <laughs> I do have a wolf blitzer thing going for me. Um, my name is Jason Neifer, and I am the assistant director and curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is the state virtual school uh, located at the University of Montana in Missoula, Montana. I do live in Missoula. Um, and as a side gig, I also work closely with the Northwest Council for Computer Education as one of their tech-savvy teachers, although I think I was recently updated to tech-savvy administrator. So that's oh. uh, pretty exciting. Um, and I um, am featured at their conference every year, which I, I should uh, promote. Uh, it's the end of February this year in lovely Seattle, Washington. Mm. Um, and I'm a former classroom teacher, so I spent uh, 13 years in a high school history classroom. So let's just resolve now that in the next year or two, we need to do the EdTech Situation Room live in Seattle from NCCE because it has been a good five or six years since my wife and I had a chance to go. And and that is the most – Vancouver is also a beautiful place. But second to Vancouver, I would put Seattle as just, you know, gorgeous and wonderful, wonderful place to go and a great tech conference. Um, Please don't hesitate to interrupt me if things garble. Uh, I have a, we have a home of five, uh, internet <laughs> users. We have the Netflix account that allows four simultaneous streams. I've upgraded to the Doxus three modem as of about a year ago, <clears throat> which we've got a hundred megs down, but uh quality of service at our house is that yelling, stop streaming. And I, I honestly do that regularly for video conferences. So I haven't, I haven't done that tonight, but um, in all seriousness, do let me know. Sure. Um, sometimes it is the case that, that YouTube is forgiving and, you know, still things show up okay on the, on the flip side. But anyway, uh, we, we're not, we're not doing the, the typical Friar House quality of service tonight. So <laughs> if, uh, it is a problem. I can, my kids can survive without, without streaming Netflix. So. Okay. Sounds great. All right. What's our first topic? I'd say we talk about uh, the acquisition of Minecraft EDU by the good folks at Microsoft. All right. That sounds good. You want me to, to chime in on that first or you go ahead? Okay. Well, we, uh, Minecraft is like, it's like, it's, it's, it's like fireworks. It's like gunpowder. It's, it's explosive with excitement with, with students. Um, the last two years, we we used Minecraft EDU in uh, UConn schools where I was teaching STEM. When I came to Cassidy, went ahead and figured out if we could get that with our labs and 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 got a bunch of licenses. Um, it is a modded version of Minecraft. I'll admit this over the break. I, I don't know the number of hours that I spent with my uh, youngest daughter, who's in sixth grade. We also had cousins that came and visited. Uh, right across the room from me, I've got one of our old circa 2010 MacBook Pros that is now a server with the uh, website no IP. That's no dash IP. Uh, you can have a free domain <clears throat> that you can change or whatever that updates. So anyway, we've, uh, we've, we've, my, my, my daughter who's in sixth grade has done now, um, videos for Minecraft where she's got a friend in Canada that joins her and plays. Anyway, Minecraft EDU is a, is a really great opportunity for schools to be able to have a more controlled environment of Minecraft where you turn off, you know, TNT, turn off the PVP where, you know, kids don't attack each other or can't. Um, and, uh, and then you, you know, you, there's, you just have kind of superpowers as the teacher to, you know, be able to give resources or teleport or freeze kids or, you know, or do different things. Uh, Microsoft has, had announced their purchase of Minecraft EDU. Um, they, of course, got Minecraft itself not, not too long ago. There's a couple articles that I, uh, dropped in about this. Probably the most interesting thing I've heard is, Supposedly they are recoding, and I heard this at our WordPress meetup Monday night, that Microsoft is recoding the, the entire code base for Minecraft, which is in Java, and kind of requires a fairly robust processor and video card to be in all C++, and the hope is that now that will make it you know, run on a lot more legacy, older platforms. It also kind of sounds like they're going to use it as a gateway drug to 365 and the, the Microsoft world. Because right now with Minecraft EDU, our, our kids don't really log, they don't log on to, to the web. It's, we just run stuff locally. You, you, you can have the full blown accounts, but, uh, it's, it sounds to me with this EDU version, you know, where you're going to have your licenses and students are going to log in individually. It's almost like Google where they're going to, okay. And, and hey, with your Minecraft education license, you'll also, you know, have access to 365 and it's going to be very interesting to, 
see how that evolves. But I know Jason's really enthusiastic about Microsoft. Our headmaster is now on a, a Surface uh, Surface Pro 4. And, uh, in fact, tomorrow we're doing a presentation. Only twice a year we do something for our whole faculty. And he's presenting on it. And, uh, and my, you know, my Google presentation will come up and, it's, I, I think I am not a Microsoft fanboy, but I am excited that they are reinventing themselves. The, the area of Minecraft is a really dynamic, you know, gaming, Xbox, all of that is, is definitely an exciting and, ex, you know, explosive growth area for them. So it's, it's a big deal that they've bought Minecraft EDU and it looks like we're, we'll continue to get to use our licenses, but it's going to reach a point where it won't be updated anymore. It's a little right. behind the current Minecraft. It's at 1.8 something and our version that we've been running is 1.7. So, and we'll get a free year of the new version. So I'm, I'm a little bummed because I've, I've really found the Minecraft EDU community to be hugely um, supportive and I've loved the fact that we have this in-house on our local area network ability to to do Minecraft, which we'll continue to do. But anyway, that's a long rant. And probably the situation room would fire me right now if we were on CNN. We talk too long. So, Well, and I would also add to this that, and I think at some point we probably want to have a, a longer discussion about Microsoft. And, I, and I, I've been really impressed in the last um, year or so um, after the debacle of Windows 8 and Windows 8.1, which I, I didn't mind uh, that much. Um, I thought it was a, um, an acceptable operating system for, for touch devices. Um, Windows 10 blows away um, either Windows 7 or Windows 8 or 8.1. And um, I've been really interested in the last uh, six months or so about how uh, nice the operating system runs um, on even older hardware. Um, I, I picked up a um, as I'm sometimes prone to do, a an old refurbished uh, like 2011 laptop from Woot.com a, a couple of months ago that um, uh, on the simple promise, it already had an SSD drive in it, already had 8 gigabytes of RAM, it was really small and portable, that's kind of what I was looking for for a project. I purchased it for under $200, did the Windows 10 upgrade, and it's 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 functionally the fastest machine I own at this point uh, on a mobile device. And um, that that operating system that that managed to you know, take in some cases eight or nine year old hardware and make it effectively new again, that's the kind of innovation that I, I think really uh, could could make Microsoft relevant again to schools. And of course, the complexity here is is that it's already quite relevant to schools because there are a lot of folks that um, begrudgingly or not have kind of kept Microsoft in the game because of um, its dominance in the enterprise, but. Um, I think it's a clever move. The other the other piece of Microsoft news today was that they released a, a pretty extensive tool set for OneNote that there's like a learning plugin or learner's plugin on OneNote. It looks like it's pretty interesting. And um, I, uh, you know, I I was an Evernote guy for a long time and then I, I forgot to install it on a, a refreshed operating system on my, when I was on my iMac at work and then I stopped using Evernote. Um, and then I kind of stumbled onto OneNote, and it's now it, it, Google Docs is my go-to tool instead of Evernote now or OneNote um, for stuff that OneNote ever used to do for me. But um, I, I find that, that OneNote's a competitive tool to that, and all these are providing really interesting, I think, kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, gateway drugs to back into the Microsoft ecosystem. They're cross-platform. They've been very committed to um, uh, to putting things on Android and iOS devices, which I think is very clever on their part. And, you know, it's, it's in my mind, still not as the simple elegance of a lot of the Google tool sets. Um, I, you know, Google Docs is 80% of my productive life now um, over where Microsoft was um, five or six years ago. But um, it's really curious and interesting to watch them reinvent themselves from a pathway that I think was, was leading them to irrelevance on um, the... Um, current edition of Surface Pros are really interesting and nice pieces of hardware and well-designed. The Surface Book looks great. Uh, my understanding is that it's riddled with technical problems, but it's a really clever design. And, um, you know, it, I've never understood the, um, the uh, convertible tablet market. Like, I don't get, um, you know, the things that pop apart and they always look so hinky and like, not something I'm interested in or it looks like it would break easily. I'd prefer a traditional laptop over that, but the, the service book looks different in that regard. So yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in where this goes. And, um, you know, and, and I'll give you another example of where lately I've been changing my mind about how Microsoft is approaching the market. Um, I bought a 
desktop a couple months ago uh, because my I'm still rocking a 2008 Mac Pro um, that is still fairly fast. I mean, I invested a lot of money in it in 2008 and have kept it up, put SSD drives and such, and it's got the huge cheese grater uh, box, and, and, I, and I still... <laughs> Really, really love that as as a desktop, but you know I've been looking at updating to one of the trash can uh, Mac Pros, and for somewhat similar specs. And I get that the 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 uh, CPU and the memory is super high end in, in the Mac Pro, but I was able to buy an HP that had you know, double the amount of memory that I was looking at on on the Mac, better video card. Um, for well under a thousand dollars, and um, you know where the similarly priced one was was well over three, and I know it's it's hard for me. Um, maybe this is I'm becoming more stingy as a consumer, but um, you know, that that piece will start is starting to become relevant again, like where you can buy a super power desktop for you know seven hundred fifty dollars, where that would have been two thousand dollar purchase ten years ago. So so we're the edtech situation room. So what what's the impact here for? For K-12 schools and maybe even for, for universities, if, if Windows 10 is running faster than anything Microsoft has done yet, even on older systems. Well, I think the first piece is that it keeps older desktops in play. Um, that, uh, I, I've, it's interesting. I'm, I'm an update every three year person and, um, I've, I've always thought that made a lot of sense. I understand that most enterprises are not <laughs> update every three year, uh, kind of folks. Um, um, and certainly every enterprise that I've worked in has been somewhat similar to that. Um, but I know people that are running around with seven, eight, nine year old hardware that's running Windows 7 pretty efficiently that was able to update to Windows 10 and both objectively and from a perceptionary, perceptionary is a word I just made up from a perception standpoint. Um, you know, it runs faster and their end users are happier with it. And it's a very modern looking operating system. And so, um, you know, I think it keeps um, in a world where, you know, people aren't asking for Microsoft desktops anymore. They prefer cheap Chromebooks or they prefer tablet computers or they prefer newer forms of hardware. Um, if you're not looking to update this, especially if you're on a licensing regime that gives you a free update to Windows 10, um in the enterprise that that makes a big difference. And we're wondering about that because we've taken, taken that leap for Microsoft to install on, on many of our, no, I say many, we, we started with a few at school and, and, and we haven't had any trouble, no compatibility issues. You know, it's all been very positive with 10, but our, our question is going to be, you know, what is this cost in, in a year? We did go and buy a flat out license and I just saw the invoice for it today. I'm thinking it was like, it was at least 150 uh, wow. bucks. Because it was, we're, we're gonna run a boot camp. We're actually gonna see just on, on a, on one of our older Mac, you know, platforms with, with boot camp and how 10, how 10 performs. So anyway, that'll, that'll be a question with how Microsoft is gonna price that in the operating system environment with, you know, like with Apple has gotten interesting where it's basically a giveaway now, you right. know, with the idea that they're gonna recover it with hardware. Microsoft doesn't have that luxury with all the, all the clones that are out there. So. Yep. Interesting. Well, uh, we do have two live viewers, and thank you. You are inaugural participants. We want you to be a participant in the EdTech Situation Room, you know, Volume 1 uh, or whatever, Episode 1. So if I, I turned on, we do have the Google Hangout Q&A feature. So if you want to um, text it in the Hangout, but also if you just want to use the hashtag EdTechSR, um, I'm taking a look at that um, on my multitasking iPad here. And uh, we would love to answer a question or get a thought that you have. And it may be that we'll explore a little bit. I have heard a, a lot about Blab, mainly from Peggy George, the uh, video conference and, and webinar, you know, ed tech guru of the of the world. She's just everywhere. And um, <clears throat> had an opportunity after visiting our emergency room uh, last week for a little kidney, sco- kidney stone encounter. Um, I, I was at home. Uh, laying and laying, uh, around on Friday and, and it did my first blab and it, it was pretty amazing. It's, it's an app that, um, allows you to have four people. You can have people join in and out and, you know, people can text questions and stuff. So who knows? Jason and I might, uh, might, you know, use this as a little sandbox to explore some other options because interestingly, and I'm going to toss this one to you, Jason, you put into our, our uh, Google doc, the article, Google really needs to figure out what it wants hangouts to be. And uh, it's kind of, I think, sort of saying that maybe Google's lost its way with Hangouts. So do you want to you take that one and tell us a little bit about it? 
I'd love to. Um, so a few years ago when Google Plus was released, um, I actually spoke on the power of Google Plus um, at a couple conferences. And I was really excited about that particular tool because I felt like it was a lot of smart um, evolutions over Facebook and Twitter that, that were kind of sorely needed to, to keep people engaged appropriately in social media, but more importantly, to help manage relationships. And um, I was very up on, on Google Plus for a while. It, it kind of took over Facebook and Twitter for me in regards to my social media presence. And then it didn't seem to really get a mass of users. Google went all in on Google Plus and made the foundation of sign-in and a good percentage of its engagement and products went through Google Plus. And then uh, there was a point of which it was, you know, teetering on, on um, inactivity. And then for me, it eventually just crashed. And it's interesting because I say that around like super Google advocates and they will remind me that, that they are very active on Google plus and I don't want to judge their, their activity on Google plus, but I go there. It seems kind of like a graveyard to me. So it's not nearly as, as engaging it was two or three years ago. At that time, I said that the killer product in Google plus at the time was Hangouts. Um, it was a beta product then. It was a kind of an add-on that seemed like it was not necessarily an afterthought, but clearly a, a Google project. They didn't know where else, where else to stick. And the fact that it was basically free video conferencing that had a number of interesting add-ons to it. And of course, we're now, you know, recording and broadcasting this podcast via a Hangout-based technology. That was a killer um, uh, uh, tool for schools. Um, and here we are now in 2016, and they've pulled Hangouts out of Google+. It's still not as easy as I want it to be to connect to people, but it's, it's getting a lot better. It's it's uh, um, easy to set up, relatively set, easy to manage. It's, it's dead simple to broadcast. But the, the place where the big question marks are now is, I think, in the mobile app, which is exactly what uh, the next web is arguing, that um, there there's a, a kind of a, a fight for the soul of what Google Hangouts really looks like. They brought SMS into the um, app on Android a few years ago. Hmm. Um, some folks use that as their native SMS client. Um, for others, they didn't like the fact that SMS and Hangouts were were intertwined because sometimes you want to have a conversation on Hangouts and sometimes you don't want your SMS involved and vice versa. Um, but it, it seems to me that that it's a product that is clearly being developed still, but doesn't really have a, a, a place yet in the pantheon of Google um, to, where it seems like it's, it's still one of the core products. Um, I will say for... Um, nearly 15 years now, Google Talk, which is the you know early precursor to Hangouts, has been my only chat platform. I don't text chat um, uh, on any other platform on a desktop. I use it at work um, all day long. Um, it's a critical part of communication with remote employees in my organization. Um, I talk to my wife all day long on that platform. Um, and it, it, it looks like it could use some, some definition, but here we are, you know, nearly in a decade and a half after the tool, uh, was released and it's, it's still around. So it, it's obviously not going away, but the question is what, what, what do we do with this thing? What's the, uh, what's the next piece of this process? And, you know, this makes me think of if we do the EdTech Situation Room uh, application education, it's it's like show with media with these different media products that aren't going to be tied to a specific platform, but they're going to be transcendent. And so, you know, making a narrated slideshow is something all of us need to know how to do, whether you're on a Surface Pro or an iPad or whatever, whatever you're doing, you need to be able to do that. And similarly, interactive video conferencing and the archival, because see that for yeah. me, I mean, it is, I'm excited. We got two, two live folks here and Come on, please ask us a question. You can be the first person to ask a live question in the EdTech Situation Room, a show destined to become, you know, globally impactful. Um, the fact that this thing is immediately archived to YouTube and and all I do is click yeah. stop. I mean, I, I have been trying and to do this whole, you know, sharing video and being live and, and also asynchronous and just all of these things. 
And that's why Blab, too, just playing with that was like, oh, my gosh. It was so easy to bring somebody else in, you know, with the Hangout. Right. Part of the trick is how do you join and getting people to either be in their email where they see it pop up or, yep. you know, what what we what we did here was, you know, I, I direct messaged Jason the, the link and then I'll also put it in our Google Hangout. Which, by the way, and I won't name names, but uh, maybe a month, oh, a few months ago, um, I was in a Google Hangout where someone accidentally tweeted not the view link, but they tweeted the live join link. <laughs> somebody, some, and this was for some pre-service stu- you know, teachers, and you know, there, whoever somebody joined was using profanity. <laughs> it was like, anyway, don't do that. But <laughs> the fact that it is, I mean, when I was at the College of Education at Texas Tech, from uh, what, two th- 2001 to 2006, you know, we spent, I want to say, was it like $15,000, a huge chunk of change to get this Codian IPVCR. And this was a rack-based appliance that um, went in our server room and where like Microsoft, their streaming service had a had big time latency of like a minute or a minute and a half. And if you're doing a live class and you're going to ask students, Hey, do you have questions? You know, that, that's a killer for, for live interactivity. Maybe you could have someone monitoring a chat and, and getting questions and feeding it in or whatever. But this Cody and IP VCR, which I think Cisco and Tam, Tamberg ended up buying whatever. I mean, it had like five seconds of latency and, and it would record and it was like a, like a DVR, you know, where you'd stack up all these videos. Anyway, that was enterprise and we were spending thousands of dollars. I mean, right behind me or in front of me, I guess. I mean, I have a Tamberg video conference unit. That thing cost $17,000 in 2006. Yep. And, you know, Zoom video right now, I did a, I did four video conferences to India this fall, um, some closing keynotes at conferences. <clears throat> I was outside of Boston in a hotel room, tethering an iPad on one phone, tethering my laptop on another. That video quality was better than okay. we got when I was back home using the system. So this whole thing about the pace of technology and how quick and, and impact of schools, you know, how are we leveraging this? for our professional learning. And then also like Jason and I are early adopters. If you haven't figured that out, how do we take this to, you know, the early majority at, you know, to, to the masses and, and bring this, cause this, it does feel and seem like rocket, you know, rocket science or magic and all of this. But I mean, this stuff is becoming commonplace. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in what Google's going to do. Of course, I hope they're not going to, to ditch Hangouts, um, I know with the YouTube platform, um, I just saw that Air Server would would if we would want to do this at some point, you can broadcast live your your iOS or or I think Android, whatever device you're sharing with Air Server, you know you can send that live. So anyway, it's we're we're on the the cutting edge, bleeding edge of stuff with with this kind of live video conferencing and Periscope, um, and I I think. The impacts for education, especially my, my kids now, and then I've got a senior, a sophomore in high school and a, and a sixth grader. My senior and my sophomore are Skyping almost every single night yep. and they're in study groups. Okay. This did not happen when I was in school. And, and this is, this is a game changer. And so the, some of that stuff is happening, you know, outside, but I don't know. Well, and I would have thought about that. And then you'll notice that we have a question in our questions box. That's right. But, um, the, um, when I was actually jumping into Hangouts tonight, you can go to hangouts.google.com now. And there's a very beautiful interface there that's very, um, uh, Hangout-like, um, that it looks like a Google property. Um, there's a nice picture and bold, bold graphics and such. But, um, you know, you can also call for free. Um, on, on, on Hangouts. You can text for free on Hangouts, like in and out of, of someone else's SMS phone number. And it, it, it does suggest to me the ubiquity now of, of the means of, of, of communicating via any of those technologies. I, I can remember very distinctly, this would have been like 1999 maybe, being in Oregon, um, hanging out with some friends that were at that point working um, at startups um, in the Portland area and um, they had a broadband internet connection, which was super sweet. And I remember being so impressed that I could stream um, a really sketchy NPR um, link, and then also being able to talk on 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 a, or like call a telephone, even though the quality was awful and it wasn't super um, a super high fidelity. And you know, I was thinking to myself, this is the future, right? Like at some point, 
all these things will be cheap and free. And now they are, right? Like there is no, you don't really need to have a telephone to communicate over telephone lines anymore. You don't need a phone to even communicate via text. They're all integrated with one another and they're ubiquitous and available. And, um, you know, I, I think we were promised at, at some point that, that that connection would lead to more connections in and out of classrooms. And, uh, now there's, there's, there's really no more excuse. Like there is, these things are, are everywhere and, and anywhere. And it's just, it's time for us to figure out ways to, to integrate them appropriately. That, that is our assumption now. As long as we don't yep. have the electromagnetic pulse or, you know, the <laughs> asteroid or the solar flare. Right, right. Um, I think, uh, we'll answer, we're gonna answer, uh, Marta Tome's question, the first one to come in live. Um, but I, I wanna just suggest that in the future, we may have a competitive game where you identify the best Scrabble word which has been used by either Jason or myself. My vote tonight is going to be Pantheon. One of the reasons we want Jason is you will hear contextually accurate uses of amazing words that you can immediately apply to your own game of Scrabble or words with friends. That, my friends, is a practical application of education. So There you go. All right. Well, I'm going to throw you the question, and then I'll I'll go for it uh, as well, or I could take it first. But Marta asks, as a GAFE school, so a Google Apps for Education school, the link to YouTube is blocked, which makes archiving a Hangout not possible. Any suggestions when talking to my IT manager? Um, I do have a couple thoughts on that. You want to take it first, or you want me? Yeah, I can start. Um, uh, two things. Um, I'll make the broad argument that I'm sure Wes is also going to make as well. Um, attention schools, it's time to unblock YouTube. So. Um, I, I, you know, and I understand bandwidth and um, uh, students don't always stream what you want them to, yada, yada, yada. But um, I, I think we, it, it's worth repeating every time questions like this come up that that it is the the best e-learning tool on the planet. And um, we, if we block it, we're blocking unbelievably rich educational environments. This is not the YouTube of, of, of 2007. Um, the vast majority of content that students are going to is commercial content now. Um, it's uh, even if it's for entertainment purposes, it's the way media is delivered in, in 2016. Um, the second piece that I would say is that um, I, I am a Google Apps for for education administrator. Um, I, I do control uh, um, an active uh, 2000 user um, Google Apps system. I'm fairly certain YouTube is unblocked in our system, um, largely because it doesn't matter since all of our students are remote to us that if, if a local district wanted to block them, they could. But, um, the, I'm under, I'm under a pretty good assumption that you could probably micro unblock the ability of, of YouTube to take a recording from a teacher user. So you wouldn't have to unblock YouTube for kids to be able to unlock functionality in YouTube for authenticated teacher users. So I would suggest your IT person that um, they take a look at, you know, you don't have to unblock it for all teachers. Just find your tech savvy folk that want to do things like archive a hangout on YouTube and simply unblock uh, that functionality for um, uh, teacher users would be my suggestion. All right. So we're while while I'm answering, we're gonna have the test. I've I've texted my son to ask him to bring me my power supply because the new MacBook, you know, has the alternate uh, power supply. And yes, I'm about I I've got twelve percent. Who knows? Maybe I'll make it to the end. Um. So Marta, there's a those are great ideas for for the Jason gave. Definitely, you know, I I totally agree as far as the time to unblock YouTube, but there's, there's like graduated responses. And so there's going to be ways to work around that. And then also ways to advocate for um, a more open filtering environment for teachers and students. Number one, um, if you're going to use this, uh, let's say like we are, you're going to use it, you know, to, to have a hangout and you're going to want to pull that video into your environment that, to be able to, to use it later. You can download YouTube videos. YouTube now makes it possible with your own account to, uh, you know, click in your video manager and directly download the video as an MP4 file, which you could then put into Google Drive. Hey, honey, can you can get me my power supply, please, from my backpack? One of my children has appeared. Um, and so that's a, I mean, that would be a way to get the video. There, there's a website, um, and I'm going to make sure I don't misquote it and send somebody to a wrong place. Pego.co. There's a bunch of different sites and you have to be careful about malware and adware. Um, but Pego, P-E-G-G-O.co. That's my favorite site now for downloading YouTube videos and being able to have them offline. Um, 
like I was saying earlier, though, I think the need to have an interactive video option is transcendent. So if it's if Google, for, for whatever reason, is not going to be the platform and YouTube and you can't unblock, as Jason suggested, just for teachers, um, you know, ask then where what is our what is our platform? What's our platform for inter, for for having group video chat and and for for saving? You know, if that's the, the function that you want to have. Um, Skype used to be more out of favor with schools. Now there's a lot more doing mystery Skype and stuff like that. In terms of advocating at your school, um, I think that we should be asking for differentiated content filtering, which means filtering the teachers differently than the students. And, um, you know, many, um, filters can, can let that happen. And then also, as, as Jason said, the Google apps environment can allow that to happen in terms of what's turned on and off. Like we have our teachers in a separate, uh, domain. Uh, they're, I don't even know. It's, is it a tree? I don't, I don't know. What is it, Jason? When you have people in their, in their different areas, like all the students are over here. It's, yeah. it's all within our Cassidy.org. Right. There's a term for it, but it's a different group. Yep. So, uh, most likely as your folks set up your Google Apps environment, they, you know, set the teachers set up separately than the students so that they could, they could give them different rights. So anyway, I mean, Hangouts are powerful. Um, but also, you know, thinking about the instructional need, we we used Hangouts two years ago or three years ago when I was an instructional coach in the district to do a Robert Marzano study. And it was a distance learning kind of thing because we had a DVD series. We couldn't um, legally, you know, rebroadcast those, but we could use them in a distance learning context. And at that time, you could play YouTube videos inside a Hangout. And I don't know if I, I kind of think that function may have gone away. Um, and it may be, that could be something fun for us to do, Jason, where we, you know, if it's a situation room, well, let's hear from so-and-so, you know, at, at this spot and we could play a video live. Anyway, we had some teachers, a few that did that after school where we tuned in, we watched the short video, and then we had a discussion over, over the hangout. Oh, look at that. Jason just added the YouTube app. So, um, I, I, I think a lot of this is still, we're, we're dabbling with these technologies and in some cases, you know, trying to, you know, sometimes trying to figure out how we're going to be using them educationally. That that shouldn't be the case for YouTube itself. There's all kinds of ways for YouTube to be, you know, utilized when it comes to the Hangout. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's always easier to, to use asynchronous video that was recorded before, you know, than to than to do the live side. But do you guys use live video, Jason, with the, the Digital Academy? Are you, you Skype with Students, uh, faculty, we, what do you all do? We, we tried, um, and we, we have some folks that, that successfully pull it off, but to be frank, uh, our students just weren't into it. So they, they didn't mind being connected with one another, but they, you know, we, we set up live study hours and live tutors and all sorts of things, and kids were like, meh. So we, we do have uh, several seats to go to meeting, which is our preferred video conference tool because of how uh, dead simple it is and, and how you, ubiquitous it is it's across platforms. Um, and we actually tried WebEx once, but literally our teachers never used it. It was never a piece of, of, of their strategy. So, um, that's in the same way that you mentioned how expensive video conferencing was. I mean, it still is. I mean, if you go by uh, Collaborate or GoToMeeting or WebEx or uh, Adobe Connect or any of the, the, uh, premier conferencing tools, they, they, they all work pretty well. I mean, they're, they're great tools, but, if, you know, you just want to have a couple of people talk and see each other's face and maybe share a screen, um, Hangouts is pretty hard to beat uh, at free. And it also works on a ton, ton of different platforms. So, yep. All right. Well, thanks for that question, Marta. And uh, Jason, if you're you very well could be listening to this, I'm sure there's going to be <clears throat> more people that will listen to this than will uh, watch the video. But he, you dropped the, the YouTube link in or the YouTube tool and activated it. I activated it here. And so uh, we've got a ability to add a add a playlist and uh, put videos in and we can push to talk during the video so we could talk over the video. And uh, that is, that's pretty cool stuff. And I haven't, I haven't played with that feature in a couple years actually in a hangout. So. So Wes, I think we should hit one of the story tonight and I'm going to suggest that we talk a little bit about uh, Apple's uh, quarter one results that were announced um, yesterday and there, it's funny because, um, I, and, and I have to say, um, I am still very much a, 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 an Apple user. Um, I, you can pry my iPad for my cold dead hands. Um, and, um, I, 
especially at work, there's just no other better productivity tool for me. Um, but there's something interesting happening at Apple right now in that um, they announced yesterday, depending on which headlines um, you, you listen to, either it's the best quarter any company's ever had in the history of companies, um, which is a true headline, or you know, hidden fairly deeply in the results is that they took a really big hit on Mac sales, um, but the, the, the biggest uh, drop in sales was their um, uh, holiday quarter um, was down 25% quarter over quarter in, in different years on iPad sales, which includes the new iPad Pro, which was available in um, the end of 2015. And I guess it begs the question, and I'm somewhat inspired by this because of a Twitter conversation we had a couple weeks ago, Wes, about the iPad 2s that are rolling around. Um, has the iPad jumped the shark? Um, and is there, I mean, is this platform going away? Is that, that's what really what's happening here. And, um, I guess I'd start with you. Um, I, I know, um, how big the iPad has been for you professionally and personally. Where do you see this, this technology going? Well, so, um, the, the big war that's on between Google and Apple and, and the luxury that, that, that we can have as educators is to drink the Kool-Aid from both camps and not to have to choose just one, right? And then yeah. the other's Microsoft. And um, it really is a fundamental difference in the ecosystem for apps and in just the whole idea of price point and, you know, allowing essentially for clones. I mean, Google is now in in the hardware side and and part of what I know about Android and I've got a, a Nexus 7 tablet I bought a couple years ago because I wanted to play with to see how some apps like Book Creator and Flipboard and other things worked on it. The world, there are far more people in the world that can buy inexpensive technology than those that can go to an Apple store, which will only be at a mall that has a cheesecake factory, you know, in a specific <laughs> demographic. I mean, you know, Apple is is brilliant in what they have brought to the table. But <clears throat> as we see the the norm of educational technology, the bar just keeps on being raised as far as what, you know, everyone's device can do. It is definitely, I think, harder for them to differentiate in the marketplace. Um, you know, the, I have no qualms whatsoever, you know, help, sh- sharing with people that I that this is the best media creation app when we want to go create green screen video, when we want to, um, you know, even with iMovie, being able to produce edited uh, video on the fly, I haven't seen anything that can touch that. I mean, and, and there's, there's Wii Video, there's the YouTube, you know, video editor. Um, there are different apps. So the iPad still has a lead over over Android and, and it's a fundamental difference in, in the ecosystems and the way apps are set up and, and, all, and frankly, just the number of developers. You know, one of the litmus tests for Microsoft's success in the marketplace is going to be, can they successfully entice huge numbers of developers to, you know, invest their time, energy, and essentially their livelihood, you know, put it on, on that bandwagon. So, uh, I don't think I, I don't think I'm answering the question very well. I think for today, which I mean, it's hard to say. Like in ten years, what's this going to be? You know, for right now in the foreseeable future at our school, I am not advocating for buying Android tablets. Um, we're getting we have five carts of Chromebooks. Uh, you know, we we may add more. We're a, we're we're not really we kids can BYOD, but but they in more the upper division, but they they're. I don't know. Our, our climate is not such that I would be shocked if someone came up and said, Hey, I think we're going to go one to one, you know, at these grade levels or something. And, and that would force my hand a little bit more, maybe in terms of saying devices, we're going to be, we're, we're multi device people too. How many devices do you have right now, Jason, in front of you? Uh, in front of me, one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> You're kidding me. Yeah. I'm pretty ridiculous. Later we'll have to disclose how many Wi-Fi connected devices <laughs> we each have in our homes. Uh, that's, that's, that, that separates the men from the boys that, but, uh, or the, or I don't know, something else. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of silly that we're still sometimes arguing over which device is it going to be when, you know, as adults, if we financially can, none of us are single device users, you know, we're, we're using multiple platforms. So I guess my answer is I think in the long run, 
the Google strategy is there, there are going to be more consumers to support Google's um, strategy just because of the way that economics work. But it's a, it'll be a test for Apple to continue to innovate and to come up with that next, you know, that next product. Um, and they've, they've got a stellar track record at being able to do that. And there's a lot of advantages to having a closed ecosystem and being able to have that control over the user experience and not having the fractured user experience, you know, which I understand is Android. I came really close to actually thinking about switching to Android after sitting next to a guy on a plane and having him show me all this stuff. And it, it was after I probably did a Google event and, you know, you hung out with all these <laughs> Google people. And, uh, and then I came home and my, my whole family almost revolted because my kids know that everything, you know, filters down. And you know, my daughter was like, no way, dad, I'm not going to, you know. So I don't know. What's your take on it? You probably have a more succinct answer than, than I tried to give there. Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty mixed on, on this question and what, um, I, I obviously I've, I've been playing more lately with, with other alternative, um, uh, ecosystems and, and I, I've been an Android user now for, for three years. Um, previous to that, uh, I was an iPhone user and previous to that, I was a Blackberry user. Um, so I've, I've been through the, the ranks, if you will, and I st- still very much prefer the, the Android phone. I'm now carrying around a Nexus 6, which is a beautiful, a beautiful large screen. I carry on an iPad mini, um, especially when I travel. Um, but I, my needs are, are, are different, I think, than, than your needs, Wes, in that you are, um, um, uh, you, you make a lot of things with your iPads, and I, I don't. And it's not because it's not a powerful platform, I just don't really need to make much media. And, um, uh, for me, that, that, uh, that doesn't make it less useful. The reason why I carry around an iPad is because it's, it's effortless. Um, it's, it's a, uh, to, to, you know, to utilize media, personally consume media, um, in a number of different formats. Um, the battery life is always stellar. The screens are always beautiful. The hardware would take a, 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 a small nuclear device to break apart. Um, I've dropped iPads before. I still have a, a an iPad 3 rolling around. Uh, what most people argue, other than the iPad 1, is the worst iPad because it's got the um, the the biggest uh, tech needs and the the least capable chip inside of it. And that thing's been to Iceland and back. It got dropped uh, at actually at Reykjavik International Airport, and there's a big dent in it, and yet it still rocks along. And um, you know, like I. I have nothing else that, that even comes close to comparing to that because Apple stuff is built like no other hardware on earth. Um, the fact that I'm rolling around with, uh, um, I mentioned this during our pre-show that I still have a, a Mac desktop. That's basically my primary desktop. It's uh, effectively this year, eight years old. Um, there's no, um, there's no other piece of, of active technology in my home that's eight years old, uh, and, and let alone a, a, a computer platform. The stuff is awesome. I think it's part of the reason why iPad sales are slowing down a bit is because people buy iPads and you don't need to buy another iPad. Um, I bought an iPad, the iPad mini, which was the replacement for my iPad three, which was a replacement for an iPad one. And I did feel the need to go from a one to a three. That was a good, good upgrade for me. The three to the mini is a mini two actually was a great upgrade for me. Um, this is about the time two years later that I should be looking at, and I just don't need one. It's still doing everything I need it to do. Um, because the hardware and the hardware is going to you know, last forever. It's followed me around. It's been through a lot of, of, of travel. It's just great hardware. Um, that said, I still think that Apple has made a pretty big mistake by not making it more manageable in a school ecosystem. Um, the fact that users are still difficult to create and manage, the fact that um, the email account is the email account on the iPad, and teachers have come up with brilliant mechanisms for doing that. Um, I, I visited a classroom a couple years ago, um, uh, early elementary classroom that had um, four to one four students to one uh, iPads and um, they, I mean, they come up with all these creative solutions to get things emailed back and forth. And it, it took some effort, but you can do it. But I think adoption schools was slowed because a lot of IT folk just didn't know how to manage them um, and couldn't make them, you know, uh, universal devices. They had to be tied to individuals because they're personal computing devices. Um, 
Go ahead. We we have to then throw in uh, iOS 9.3 because that's that's not from this week, but as this is our first show, everything's news. Um, that was I think two weeks ago that Apple announced the beta for that, and so that's that has the. And I don't know if you saw articles about that, but it it has a classroom app. It's gonna it's gonna yep. be kind of like remote desktop where <clears throat> you can monitor all the screens of what your kids are yep. doing. You'll be able to do a guided view where if you want to walk kids through an app. So um, awesome. Yeah. I mean, all of those things sound good. What, what this is going to get us closer to, my wife and I just, uh, we could go Friday. We're up in Kansas and we, this is the second year I've done this iCamp with Cindy Danner Coon, who does, uh, the pre-service teacher education for all the, the K-State education students. We had 164 folks in two ballrooms in the alumni center and, um, we used Seesaw as our inside sharing tool. And one of the things that we, I, I like this vocabulary is how are we doing inside sharing and how are we doing outside sharing? That's and there, we, nice we can share a lot of stuff inside, but every once in a while, you know, or, or maybe frequently, we're going to want to share stuff outside because it'll be inspirational and grandma will get to see it. And so Seesaw, similar to Google Classroom, really makes the sharing on the iPad within a classroom what it should be. Yep. Pretty seamless pretty effortless. You know, here's a photo. I'm going to add my voice here. I'm going to do text. I mean, my wife, and maybe we'll have her on the show. Uh, but she, you know, she's got these stories now after using it a year and a half because parents can get a text message and, and she teaches third and fourth grade at a school where every, all the kids are homeless, but, but, but some of the parents, you know, with smartphones and, or, or mobile devices, you know, she's got some parents who who have gotten text messages about new things added to their child's portfolio. They've texted back in. You know, Veterans Day last year, we were in Miami Device. She shared a, a veterans video. Kids saw it. Parents saw it. One of the parents chimed in about, you know, one of their relatives who had served in the armed forces. These kinds of interactions wouldn't be possible uh, without the technology. And that sharing is becoming more seamless and it's becoming just more natural. So okay. Apple is stepping up to the plate with that, with 9.3. Um, Google Classroom is something that's caught on fire with, with, uh, especially in our middle division with different faculty. And, um, it's still a closed environment. You can't share out and it's still just like a learning management system, you know, a little artificial because it's like, here's class. It's, it's really about assignment sharing and it solves this question that is essential in a, in a, in a blended environment. How do I turn this in? You know, and there's a lot of schools that have not answered that question for teachers adequately, either by saying, here's our default way or, or by saying, here's several ways to do it. Right. And so I think that that is one of the number one things that teachers and students have struggled around is, you know, how am I going to turn this in? And, and, and hopefully, how are we going to have rich conversations around this content that I'm going to turn in and, and you're going to share with me? So hopefully 9.3 will, you know, continue to, to improve. I'll also say this. I think, you know, everyone, Apple's the, the leader in, in a lot of ways. Um, and, and so we always see these articles about, is this, you know, the downturn of, of, of Apple? Will they be able to, you know, innovate again? I think the litmus test of a strong learner and a strong company is your ability to reinvent yourself and to, to be willing to try something new. So, you know, Jason encourages me and I've heard actually some other folks I really respect that have been big time Apple folks you know, that are, that are looking at Microsoft and looking at some of these other platforms for Apple, are they going to be able to continue to innovate and to be able to continue to push the envelope? They have a culture. It's kind of like Pixar and not a coincidence that Steve Jobs you know, <laughs> started both companies. Um, they've developed cultures. It's like, can Pixar make a bad movie? They can't, you know, we, we watched the good dinosaur over, over break. You just know it's going to be awesome because Pixar has made it. And, and that creative team has mojo that, you know, is, is, is going to create great films. And so Apple, um, you know, is perhaps a more complex animal and we only peer partially, you know, through the mist into, into what has, what has made it special and, and people have changed and things like that. But I, I, I think it's an open question as far as how, if they're going to continue to innovate and continue to, um, not only meet consumer demand, but also, you know, define what, what is coming next. And we don't have to go into it in depth, but I'm going to mention DARPA. I'm listening to this book right now called the, uh, the Pentagon's brain, the uncensored history of DARPA, the defense agency, the research. There's so many things that are blowing my mind in this, 
But number one, maybe we'll, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about this in a future episode, but you know, DARPA is 10 to 20 years ahead right now of where consumer tech is. You know, there, there's an article I, I put in there about the implanting of, of chips into the human brain. We're not talking about just moving the cursor around. We're talking about full blown integration with the brain to where, you know, we're, we're going to potentially, if we would want, you know, I don't know, become one with the computer, but there's going to be vastly greater bandwidth connections. You know, it's it kind of, I don't know if it's going from dial up modem to high speed or what. Huh. There's so much stuff coming down the pike. It, you know, in, I, I, I have been saying it's the greatest day to be, be alive, but somebody the other day told me, if you just look at the number of choices we have to make, I mean, we were in the middle of rural Kansas driving to my parents, you know, for this workshop we did a couple of weeks ago, there were 12 kinds of Pringles in this, you know, in this shop that was like a one horse town. I'm like, there's 12 kinds of Pringles in this, you know, <laughs> supermarket or it wasn't a supermarket. It was, it was literally a, a, uh, a gas station in the middle of Kansas. So I don't know. It's uh, it's one of the reasons I'm excited to do this show and this podcast to talk through this stuff because it's important for us to process change and to process what's going on. And it's, and it's not just like that the geeks need to get together and do this. Like everybody's living in society now with this rapid change. And there's a, there's words that Ian Jukes and Alan November and people use for that, like rapid discontinuous exponential change or whatever. Um, and it's important for us to process it. And then also, as we were talking also before the show, be intentional about what we're doing. Like, what are we unplugging? You know, how are, how are we using these tools? But how are we also hopefully being thoughtful and um, intentional about it and not just, you know, not just be, not, you know, we, kids, kids and adults too. We could, we could, we could watch our screens all day long and, and we could lose out on a lot of important interaction. So anyway. That was a long diatribe. You can add that to my list of Scrabble words for, for this episode. Quite all right. And, and I will say that, you know, I, I sometimes forget that, that I've been in public education for 20 years because it feels like my you know, first year in the classroom was a couple weeks ago. So, um, time goes quicker than, than I think I'm marking, but, um, you know, some, it, there's never been a time of change like exists now. I mean, they're just they're nothing close. I mean, if you think about the, the radical movement of technology in the past 2000 years, uh, I, I think about the, the invention of the printing press, for example, that is, you know, one of the five greatest inventions of all time. Humans have, have, uh, benefited by that a, a gazillion times over. And yet that took, um, upwards of, of decades, one may argue centuries to come to the fruition that it, it needed to, to create change uh, around the world. Whereas in the last 15 years, um, we've, we've completely reinvented every way we, we engage with technology, particularly in the Western world. But I think it's, um, with the, the prospect of, of, of cheap mass devices ending up in, in all folks' hands, um, there's, there's something going on. And, um, yeah, we have to keep an eye on it. We have to respond appropriately in, in the educational environment. Um, um, not necessarily always adopting, um, but certainly, uh, analyzing and, and considering. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a, a important piece of how we should be responding to, to the broader, the broader notion of technology in the classroom. Well, I'm going to suggest we wrap up with a, with a geek of the week or, uh, you know, a link to share. Um, one of the podcasts I've enjoyed a lot is called The Committed. I haven't listened to it actually in the last couple of weeks as much. Uh, Bob Sprankle was one of the first podcasters I ever listened to in their seedlings group always, you know, had a little, uh, a little geek of the week that they're sharing. Um, and I, and I'm throwing this at Jason without having planned it. So I'll, I'll go first and share mine. So it could be any gadget, you know, uh, link resource. Um, I'm going to share the iPal iPad, uh, tripod holder. Um, we have more green screen videos going on in my wife's classroom and at our school and, uh, being able to have, it's a little $9 clamp that fits on any tripod and, uh, just, you know, holds the iPad in place. And, uh, man, I'm, I would not have played with green screen nearly as much if I hadn't been pushed a couple summers ago at the Create, Make, and Learn Institute in Burlington, Vermont to um, incorporate that as part of the media stuff that we were doing. 
it, it is so fun. And, and so, and, and kids just really do love that opportunity to <clears throat> be able to be creative and transport themselves anywhere. So anyway, get yourself a tripod, get yourself the iPow, you know, uh, tripod mount for, for your iPad and then spring for the $5, whatever, $4 green screen app by Do Inc. And yes, you will be making green screen videos with your kids and going amazing places. We did our Christmas letter this year in my wife's maker studio on the green screen. So that somehow puts us in a, in some kind of a geek family classification. (laughs) Um, This one is easy for me, actually. Um, I very much enjoy, there's a a podcast from WNYZ Studios called Note to Self. um, And they're www.notetoselfradio.org. Just put Note to Self in Google. Um, uh, It's hosted by a public radio host, Manoush Zomarodi. Um, who uh, I love her voice as part of it, that she, that she has a really, really, really amazing radio voice. But it's a great podcast that, that tries to talk about the human aspect of technology and, and how we can respond and, and, and deal with the evolution of technology um, as it relates to our humanity. And they announced a new project this week called InfoMagical, where they are taking on the uh, concept of information overload. And oh, good. What was really interesting about this, it starts next Monday. You can text them and they'll send you a daily challenge um, um, to kind of think about and engage. And they actually had a really great project last summer called Bored and Brilliant, where they were um, also seeking to kind of reinvent people's relationship with technology. But I recommend the podcast. Um, it, it's great. It's never more than 20 or 30 minutes a week. It always leaves me um, very interested in, in digging into those topics more deeply. Um, they did a really interesting expose last year. They were talking about student privacy and data and they took on the, the, um, the yeah. class, the yeah, class that... dojo app. Oh, really? Um, and the privacy of that particular data. Um, and, uh, they talked to the, the folks there that created the app and it's a, it's an amazing podcast. And I would say it's, it's, it's worth your 20 minutes every week. I'm an unbelievable podcast, um, consumer, um, partially because I walk a lot. Um, I'm Missoula and I have, have a really great walking relationship. So, um, I'm walking miles and miles and miles every day. So something to, to entertain me through that. But, uh, if you're looking for one podcast, it's really going to change the way you think every week. Note to self is it. Awesome. And I'm going to have to ask you to, to share the, the numbers because in our ed tech, uh, year in review, you disclosed the number of subscriptions you have. And I think I literally fell out of my chair and passed out. So what is that subscription um, number? I'm actively monitoring right now 230 podcasts of which I probably listen to parts of 30 or so a week. Um, wow. and, um, and part of it is that, you know, like I, I don't really watch television and I, part of it too is that I used to be a pretty big uh, news listener, but I, news is just too depressing. So, um, so that, that's, that's my news now, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's probably seven or eight that I, I, I listen to it, uh, every week for sure. But, um, you know, you, I can be, I can fill my ears with stuff that interests me, uh, whereas the, the more mainstream stuff, eh, eh. um, so I, I do, I do love a good podcast. Okay. So we're going to publish this on the, on my speed of creativity site. Are you feeling good enough about EdTech Situation Room? Maybe you want me to go ahead and register that domain and put it yeah. out there, Jason, you think? No, let's go to town. Should yeah, we do it's great. EdTechSR.com or .org, or what should we go for? Um, I think SR works great if it's available. EdTechSR.com? Okay. I wonder if you can do SR. What it, well, we would have to justify ourselves being in. That's probably Siri or something. We don't want to do that. <laughs> we'll end up on somebody's no-fly list or something like that. We're not going to do that. Okay. Well, if people want to find you, Jason, how can they do that? Um, I blog, uh, once a week or so at the NCCE Tech Savvy Teacher blog, blog.ncce.org. Um, and I'm available at Twitter at Tech Savvy Teach. Okay. And I am on speedofcreativity.org and tweeting mostly on W Fryer, although I have an embarrassingly long list of Twitter, uh, you know, things that I, whatever. I, I, I tweet some other places too, but we appreciate you joining us. We've still had one viewer that's hung with us. It very well could be my mom, whoever it is. They haven't identified themselves, so maybe they will. If you're the listener that has stayed with us live, um, let us know, and we will send you a special prize. I'll, I'll Well, yeah, I say that, and then I'm not going to have any way to prove that, so that's not going to work, But unless only one person contacts me. 
you'll ha- you'll have to ask us a question right now in the Q and A to prove your identity and, and receive your prize if you want to. But anyway, it was fun to do this first time, and Jason and I will be talking and kind of seeing what we want to do as far as if we want to do a schedule. I know you know the podcasts I listen to the most have have some kind of a regular schedule. Um, we're busy people, but it's actually an energizing way to spend an hour talking about stuff, and uh, we'll kind of. We'll kind of see where this goes. Does the Situation Room end in any particular way, Jason? I must admit, I have not seen an entire episode, so I don't know. What what does Wolf Blitzer do at the end? Is he? Uh, I'm pretty sure it involves some kind of sound effect. It's like zoom. That's right. So we'll go. To, so maybe we'll go to Fiverr in the in the in the outsource. Because <laughs> that was one of the things we didn't talk about was what you know what the what the Uber and Fiverr world means and what it could mean as an exciting concluding sound that you'll have in future episodes, but you won't have now because. We haven't. Oh, it is Maria. Yay. Or, or Smarta. Marta Tome. Yes. You have, you have won. Well, so Marta, if you, uh, if you'll tweet me at W Fryer, I will tweet you a download link and you can download any of my extremely exciting ebooks, uh, for free. So just, uh, shoot me a, shoot me a tweet at W Fryer or I'll try and find you. And she right. just actually threw a question in that I think is worth answering. How many conferences and ed camps do you attend and organize per year? <laughs> Hmm. Well, on my handouts, wiki, wiki.westfriar.com, I've got a, a linked list of all my presentations going back to 2010. Um, and there's another page where they go back further. I don't know. Um, EdCamps, as far as organizing, EdCamp OKC is the main one um, that I'm, you know, a central organizer for. And then I have, I facilitate and help other folks. So I probably have ended up four or five EdCamps um, a year and, Oh, she says we're the EdTech Santas. That's nice. I like that. That would have been a good, we could have done that as a, as a show title. The EdTech Santa. Yeah. We did the EdTech shopping, the tech shopping cart for a while and that was appealing, but that just locks you into, you know, promoting consumerism. And we're going to be far more than consumerists on this show. Um, I don't, how many conferences do you go to a year, Jason? And if, are you in the um, I, groupie? I, I've, I've been to, I usually tend to three ed camps a year. Um, I do four or five things inside of Montana and four or five things outside of Montana. Um, I, um, I'm able to do kids parties and conferences. Um, and, uh, and I, and I do get invited, um, you know, a couple times a year to, to speak at, at, uh, mostly regional stuff. But, um, you know, for me, it's, it's an important part of the, 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 uh, connecting with others. Like social media is amazing, but, um, sometimes, well, I mean, uh, Wes and I together are a good example of that. I think we kind of sort of danced around each other in social media, but until we were in the same physical place and met one another in Missoula, of all places, um, um, you know, that's, that's, that's how we maintain the initial connection to then let that flourish in social media. And I think that's an important piece of that process. It is. It's huge. Well, um, and I, for five years, I did full-time consulting. So that phase of my life was, <clears throat> was a lot more. I'm, I'm trying and would like to, if anybody's hiring folks, um, you know, <laughs> like, you know, once a, once a month, you know, being able to, uh, go out and share a presentation. I'm not, I'm not doing that quite yet, but anyway, thank you, Marta, for being with us. It's great to have live viewers and we will, I'll uh, see about registering edtechsr.com and we'll get this show posted and maybe, I don't know if we'll, we'll cross post or whatever. Um, we'll get it up and then we'll see where this goes because it's good, good conversation. So thank you for joining us. And Jason, you have to have some closing statement. Um, well, join us next time on the EdTech Situation Room and find out more about how technology is impacting your classroom.